Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Well, good afternoon, ladies. Yeah, I was just thinking as I was sitting in the wings, uh, the same thing that Emily was saying, that man, given a post-lunch breakout sesh, that's tough timing, that is tough timing. Coffee, I hope, is still filled back there. If you get up to go get more coffee, that's an okay thing, right? The other preliminary I want to say before we get started, too, is uh, I, I, was, I said this in the morning breakout, and I, was, I said it because I was, I was here for the... Um, the very first session this morning, and uh, I was sitting in the back, and I was noticing everyone in the room, and they've all got, you've all got your journals, you're ready to go, you're on retreat, your pens with the flowers, right? And uh, everyone's furiously taking notes, right? Like, if I don't get these notes, no, I'm, I'm not going to get anything on this retreat, right? I just really, like, I want to just give you permission to, and actually, like, a great encouragement, like, to not do that. And, and here's why. Like, like, that's, that's great if you want to jot down anything that I say, but, like, I don't have the words of eternal life, okay? So, like, what I want you to be paying attention to, though, is, is the movements of your heart. So, like, as I'm speaking, like, the Holy Spirit's also speaking and speaking to you personally. So, like, he's bum- bubbling things up as I'm speaking and as you're listening. And, and, like, that's what you want to pay attention to. Maybe that's what you want to write down. Also, uh, these are all recorded, and so like, if you want to go back and listen to this later, like, you can, and you can take as many notes as you want, right? But like, if you need to just put the journal under your chair just to really receive, that would be really good too. So I'm just so happy to be with you all this weekend. This is, uh, I've been looking forward to this for, for months. I, I, I don't know how the other breakout speakers got into, uh, how, how they got to be the speakers here, but I, I told Amber Demite, I'm like, like I, I, I want to speak at the women's retreat. Like, put, put me in, right? Like, I've, uh, ever since Damascus started doing these men's and women's retreats, I'm like, I, like, I want to do it. I want to be up there. I want to say something to them. So I just told her I was doing this. So that's how I'm here. And uh, I've been looking forward to this for months. And uh, it's just awesome. I, I'm, I'm a priest up in Cleveland, and I get asked to speak at men's retreats and men's events all the time. I think I got, I, there's something coming up. In, is anybody from St. Francis de Sales? Hi, ladies. Okay, so uh, I think I'm giving a men's retreat at your parish, I think in January. I, I don't know. I'll have to look at the calendar. But like, I get asked to speak at men's events all the time, and, uh, and they're just so different. Men's events, women's events, right? Like, I, I, gave a, I gave a talk at a women's retreat up in Cleveland. Of, I don't know. This is right before COVID. And um, on the advertisement for the retreat, it, to- it, it said, bring your favorite mug and favorite pair of fuzzy socks. That, that was the instructions for the retreat, which um, never in the history of any men's retreat has it ever been. <laughs> like, I got my flannel, I got my favorite fuzzy socks, and I'm ready for this guy's retreat, right? Like, that's just never been a thing. So uh, I, I just, I do love how Damascus does these things, all right? Like, they just, they, they have, they crush it with the hospitality details, the the little gift baggies and the coffee and just all, like all the details, they, all the details, they roll out the red carpet. And it is, it is so different than the men's retreats, right? You come for the men, the men's retreat and you've got like, they're roasting the hog out there and like, 
There's bourbon and cigars, which, like, I'm, I'm here for that, right? I'm totally here for that. But, like, I also appreciate a good Pinot Grigio, and a, I can appreciate a good, well-thought-out tablescape just as much as the rest of us, you know? Like, I'm with you. I'm with you, right? But it's just different, right? It's different. And, like, these little details, are, they're like, like, I, like, th- like this. Like, someone thought of this. Like, someone's like, we need little green pumpkins on stacks of wood with floral things. Like, yes, like that's what we need. I was in, and I was also looking at this. I'm like, we can't just have regular microphone poles, Becky. Put some tool. What is this? I don't know what this is. Okay, I don't know what it is. Looks like Mick Jagger's up here or something getting ready to sing. Anyway, I love these details. The details, the externals matter though, right? The little details, the externals matter because, like, because we're human. We're embodied people. I mean, think about, like, for those of you who are moms, think about, like, the, the very first nursery you were putting together, right? Like, the intentionality and the, yeah, the, the, the attention to detail that you had for all of those things, right? Like, are we doing, like, a little gray elephant theme? Or are we doing, like, a, I don't know, pastel Noah's Ark theme? And, like, which stuffed animals and what, like, which 50,000 things from Etsy am I going to buy for the nursery? And which blankets and, oh, my gosh, like, which saint am I, you know, like, there's such an intentionality. And that's good. That's good. It's, it's beautiful. You're not just hormonal and crazy doing it. But, like, you're, it's, it's, it's very human. It's very human, Right? Like the externals matter because we are embodied creatures, right? Our bodies matter. Our bodies matter. Like this is part of why I love Catholicism so much that we are, like we are the most sensual of all religions. Like this is, I mean, this is how we used to build churches. I mean, like, yeah, there's a, there's a special place in hell for church architects, I think, who, um, who said, we don't need that anymore, right? What we need is cinder blocks, Right? We used to know in some ways that the externals mattered. But like think about how we, how we celebrate, how we worship, that every one of our senses gets bombarded as Catholics. It's not just a message that we hear or something on the screen that we see, but we literally, we taste, we touch, we smell, we feel, we move. There's incense and processions the sounds of bells. I mean, every part of our humanity gets bombarded in our worship that we are the most sensual because grace is communicated to us vis-a-vis our bodies. Grace comes to us through our bodies because as Catholics, we believe that matter matters. Our bodies matter. The externals matter. Not only does, is grace communicated to us through our bodies, but like our bodies actually bear the deepest secrets of the mystery of life, of the universe, The mysteries of redemption and salvation, like our bodies reveal God. Our bodies reveal God. And if that sounds weird to you, like it shouldn't. It really shouldn't. Like if it does sound weird, like not shame on you, shame on me, shame on the church for failing to communicate like the essential heart of the mystery. Like the heart of Christianity is I believe in the word made flesh. Like that little noise that just happened there, that's why I really love speaking to women. (laughs) Yeah, that never happens at a men's retreat. There's no like, oh, like that. That doesn't happen. 
right? The center point of our faith is the word made flesh. There's only one moment of the creed that deserves a bow, that gets a bow. And it's not when we declare our faith in the Father or he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. It's, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. At the heart of it all is not an idea, but a person. We are not saved by a formula. We're saved by a person, right? Our God became flesh and dwelt among us. The center of it all is the flesh, the body of Christ, that divine mysteries are revealed through the flesh. That at one point in time, God smelled like a newborn baby. That's, that's the heart of Christianity. And you can spend the rest of your life meditating on that. And there's plenty in there. Right, listen to this from the Catechism. This is paragraph 1015. This is awesome. The flesh is the hinge of salvation. We believe in God who is creator of the flesh. We believe in the resurrection of, well, no, we believe in the word made flesh in order to redeem the flesh. We believe in the resurrection of the flesh, the fulfillment of both the creation and the redemption of the flesh. Flesh, 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 flesh. Like the church is at pains to try and communicate the flesh matters. Your body matters. Your body matters, even though there's many days you wake up and you're like, I don't like this body, right? Like, your body matters. The flesh matters. At the center point of the mass, Jesus is saying to us, this is my body given up for you, right? We are invited to behold the Lamb of God. Look at him. There is his body offered for you. And then you come forward and you do what? You receive his body into your body. His flesh touches your flesh. There's a communion of bodies. Like all of creation, everything that God made, St. Paul the Romans, all of creation is declaring the glory of God. Everything he made is singing this song of who God is, right? The creation reveals the creator. But there's nothing in creation that reveals more eloquently who God is than who showed up on the last day of creation, right? What does he say? He pauses, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Male and female, he created them. There's this beautiful moment where like up to that point, he's just saying, let there be light and there's light. Let this happen and it happens. It was Pope John Paul II who said, it's as if the Trinity retreats into itself before pouring forth the gift of humanity. Let us make man in our image after our likeness, right? So get this, right? So like our God, our God who is a trinity of persons, right? A union and communion of life and love that who from before all time, the father is pouring himself out to the son and the son from before all time is opening to receive this utter perfect gift from the father and he's giving it back and it's going back and forth, this eternal exchange of life and love and spirating forth out of this exchange is the third person of the Trinity, right? Our God is one, but a communion of persons, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when that God, this communion God goes to make an image of himself in creation, he doesn't just make a man, he doesn't just make a woman, he makes a couple, whose bodies and souls are complementary. Again, the uh, I love it. You don't have to stop it. You can keep going. 
he makes a couple whose bodies and souls are complementary, right? And reciprocally ordered towards each other. There's this natural magnetism that they have for each other, this mutual fascination. And then his first commandment to them is be fruitful and multiply, which is not God's way of saying, like, grow bananas and do math problems, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> when the two, thank God, <laughs> I'm a celibate, I don't know. When he says, when we hear that the two become one, right? When the two become one, this capacity for life-giving union, they become so much one that nine months later, you have to give it a name, right? And then they're three in one, just like our God is three in one. The family, the couple, is this earthly sign of the Trinity. And even more than that, the marriage from the beginning was meant to be a sign of the mode of God's relationship with us. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. This is what Paul is saying. This is the most divisive and spurned words in the New Testament. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husbands. What does that mean? Submissio, come under the mission of your husband. What's the mission of the husband? To love as Christ loved. Seems like a pretty good mission to come under, if you ask me. But Paul is saying, in Ephesians 5, he's saying that for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. He's quoting Genesis. And then he says, this is a great mystery. But I speak in reference to Christ and the church. In other words, if you want to understand the relationship of Christ to the church, and raise your hand if you're the church, every hand should be up. You're the church. Christ's relationship to the church Paul is saying, look at married love. And he says, if you want to understand married love, look at the cross. That's what's happening. That's why we call it Good Friday. Like our sexual complementarity is the sign that reveals who God is in the world. And like, is it any wonder, my dear sisters, is it any wonder why, like why sexuality, why our complementarity, why masculinity and femininity are so under attack today. Like if you were the enemy and if you wanted to cause the most confusion possible in the hearts of humanity, you would go after sexuality. You would go after masculinity and femininity and complementarity because these are the signs that reveal who God is. These are the lenses by which we see reality. The mysteries of salvation and creation and redemption. And it's like the enemy has come to smash the glasses. It's like, I can't see it anymore. Welcome to our world. Welcome to our world. That's another talk. That's another talk for another day, though. We might ask, like, what, what is it? What aspect of God's mystery does masculinity make visible, right? And I would put it this way. I would say this, that that masculinity, the male, masculinity makes visible or masculinity incarnates the outward, initiating, active dimension of God's nature, right? God who's the creator, God who's the redeemer, God who's the, the savior, right? God who speaks and creation happens. God who says, let there be and there is, right? God who goes forth from himself, Jesus who leaves the bosom of the Father to take on flesh, who comes in our midst. Jesus who says, it's not you who chose me, it was I who chose you. 
It's God who pours forth the gift of divine life in the gift of the Spirit on Pentecost, right? This is the dimensionality of God's nature that masculinity makes visible. But this is not a talk on masculinity. So what, is, what about femininity? This is what I'm obviously going to focus on. And I would put it this way. Femininity makes visible, incarnates this mystery of receptivity, of openness, and of generativity. Receptivity, openness, and generativity. Receptivity is not passivity. Like, it's not just like a dumb openness, like, like, a, like an empty container is open and just you could put anything in it. No, like the receptivity that I'm talking about, the openness that I'm talking about is, it's like the openness of like the stomach, the emptiness of the stomach that knows what it wants. It's aching and groaning and stretching and gurgling, right? Like put something in me, right? It's the openness of, of the womb, a very specific openness, a receptivity that longs to be filled. And as I, was, as I was thinking about this talk, I was thinking about just the reality of how, like, like, like our culture today would be looking at this situation. Like, I'm up here as a man, celibate, talking to a whole room of women about femininity and womanhood and culture be like, shut up, quit mansplaining, sit down, right? Like, and I'm, uh, I mean, I'm, I've got the microphone, I'm going to just keep talking. So, um, <laughs> um, but no, yeah, no, like I, here's, here's why, like I, this guy right here, this is, this is my great hero, Pope St. John Paul II. This is his very, very dear friend, his lifelong friend, Anna Teresa Komianetska. She was like an intellectual colleague of his, but just a deep spiritual sister of his, who, whom he loved so much. Like this man loved women. He loved femininity. He loved contemplating the mystery of womanhood. And I, I, I think more than any pope in the tradition, he, he wrote more and thought more deeply about these realities than anybody else. Because he intuited something. He saw something. that He saw, he saw that like, to understand the heart of humanity, you have to plumb the depths of femininity. Because the truth is, as John Paul II says, woman is the archetype of humanity. Woman's the archetype of humanity. I'm not making this up. This comes from this encyclical, Mulieris Dignitatem. That's my goddaughter, by the way. <laughs> Just a little light evening reading. <laughs> Mulieris Dignitatem. I think she actually wanted to eat the book, but still super cute. Terrible pink eye going on in this picture. <laughs> okay, Mulieris Dignitatem. John Paul II says this. Listen to this. In the church, every human being male and female, is the bride in that he or she accepts the gift of the love of Christ the Redeemer and seeks to respond to it with the gift of his or her own person. Every person in the church is mystically incorporated into the bride. Like this thing about Catholicism being 
like anti-woman or chauvinistic or patriarchal. Like it's, it's lies, it's baloney. Right? We, we believe that like the highest person in our faith is a woman who is in heaven. There is a woman's body in the life of the Trinity right now. We, we say, we claim that the archetype of humanity is woman, that the crown jewel of creation is woman. Like, you ask any artist, the last thing in execution is the first thing in, in intention. Eve wasn't made second as an afterthought, like, oh, he, yeah, he's going to need someone to, like, do his laundry or something. That, like, Adam's pretty helpless. No, she was made last as the crown jewel of it all. Creation is always, it's on the way up. It's on the way up. So in this rubric, what we're hearing is that like God is the, as the initiator, God is the initiator, the, the bridegroom, as Israel came to realize, our God is a bridegroom. It's an icon of Christ, the bridegroom, in the midst, in the throes of the passion, right? Suffering, bleeding out, being offered like these crushed grapes, like the crushed olives offering up their juice. This is the bridegroom being poured out. He's the bridegroom, which means we are the bride. This is why there's a man on the cross and a woman at the foot of the cross. He's pouring himself out into the fruitful openness of her receptivity, the church's receptivity. Right? God is the initiator. Humanity, humanity is the recipient. We were always meant to be the recipient of God's gratuitous love, this offer of divine life to stand in this posture of radical openness, of surrender, to this gift. Like, woman, again, the crown jewel of creation. This is an icon of Mary as the Theotokos, right? The God-bearer. Eve was always meant to be from the beginning. Like, my dear sisters, you were always meant to be from the beginning a sign of the deepest reality of our humanity. Right? Eve's womb, your wombs, are a concrete icon of the heart Right? The womb is a place in you, an empty place in you that doesn't exist for you. It exists for another. It's a home in you waiting for another. That's what the heart is. Pope Francis said recently, he said, happiness is a heart filled with names and faces. Or right? think about St. Paul in the New Testament. St. Paul who says, after he's received Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit deeply into his humanity, Paul who says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Right, before that, like the only way you could say intelligibly like that someone was living in you is if you were pregnant. And now here's Paul saying, I've got Jesus living in me. Like God's original intention for us, his original plan for us in Eden was to, is to be in this posture of deep intimacy and deep trust and deep vulnerability, to drink deeply from the goodness of his love, right? And he created them to give that gift to each other. And like Adam and Eve, right? God, John Paul II says that Adam wakes up and he sees Eve. And it says that he beheld her with all of the peace of the interior gaze, like this silent, wordless, like knowing that you are known, this seeing that you are being seen and cherished. Like Adam waking up and gazing upon Eve was this, like if I could paraphrase it, he's communicating to her like, like I see you and I treasure the gift that is you. 
and I reverence you as a gift. And like, I, I do not wish to dominate you or appropriate you. I just prize you above everything. That I just long to receive you with great reverence. And because of all of that, because of this estimation of your heart, like you can trust me. You can let me in. You can surrender yourself to me. You can trust me with your heart. You can trust me with your mind. You can trust me with your past. You can trust me with your future. You can trust me with your fertility. I've been meditating for a few years now on the words that a couple says to each other at their wedding when those vows, when they say, I will love you and honor you all the days of my life. What does it mean to honor like it, it means this, that like I will not scoff or belittle any part of you, like the littlest parts, the most precious parts. Like every part of your heart is safe. Like even the, the, the most embarrassing parts that you don't share with anybody, I don't mean embarrassing because it's weird, I mean like, like they're just such tender, young, small places, these big wild dreams and wild desires, like things that you never whisper out loud, like I will not belittle any of it. Every part of your heart is safe and reverenced and treasured. I will honor you and reverence you. Like my sisters in this paradigm, like what God meant for our hearts, what he meant for your heart, like under this paradigm that I'm, I mean, just that I'm going to call like the paradigm of the gift, like if this is what we were meant for, if this is what our hearts long for, like if this is what you're experiencing, then the most logical thing to do is to surrender yourself to it. The most logical thing to do is to open yourself wildly to this. Take a look at this image here. This is a beautiful sculpture. It's by Antonia Canova. It's, it's called Cupid and Psyche. So Cupid is the Roman god of love, right? Who, anybody know the Greek counterpart? Eros, eros. Eros is a very important Greek word. It, it's, it's, it's not the same as erotic. It means passion, longing, pursuing. Pope Benedict in his first encyclical, he says that God in his heart has eros for humanity, that there's a passionate longing in the heart of God for us. This is an image in some ways of like what we were always intended to receive from the Father, this unbelievable love that just adores. And again, the most logical thing to do is to open into this posture of surrender. But this is not, this is not our experience. This is not where we live. This is where we live. This is Auguste Rodin's Eve. The enemy intervened in between those two postures. Like, why does he approach Eve? It's not because she was the weaker of the two. It's because she was the receptive one. He had a mission to attack and undermine receptivity. He wanted to shut down receptivity. And so he goes after her and he says to her, did, what, did God say that you shouldn't eat any of the trees in the garden? And Eve says, no, no. It was just of the tree in the center of the garden. Neither shall we touch it lest we die. And he says to her, you will not die God knows you won't die. When you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You will be like God. 
Like the seduction of the fall, it was not a temptation to atheism or a temptation to Satanism. Like it's not like the enemy wanted them to start worshiping him. The enemy wanted to just shift their hearts away from the father to implant deep in the minds of Adam and Eve, our first parents, deep in the heart and the DNA of humanity, this, this new vision of who God might be. Like he wanted them to see like, he's not who you think he is. You thought he was this good, doting, loving, gratuitous father who just wanted to pour out blessing upon you? No, he's holding out on you. He's withholding something from you. There's not a relationship of gift. It's a relationship of power. It's a relationship of dominance. It's a relationship where he doesn't want you to flourish. And if that's the truth, then the most logical thing to do is to close yourself off, to be protected. Surrender is stupid. Why would you open yourself to that? Why would you open yourself to that? Openness, surrender is too dangerous. Just by way of hands, who here has seen either the stage version or the, the movie Les Mis? Okay, so a lot of us. If you haven't, I'm going to show you a clip here in a moment. I think one of the most tragic and most beautiful characters in the whole show and the whole story is, is uh, Fantine. She's the one who sings that song, I Dreamed a Dream. She's had a tragic life. And listen, just those words from the song, I dreamed a dream in time gone by when hope was high and life worth living. Right? In the garden, heart opened, opened wide. But what? The tigers come at night. She's not there anymore. Something's happened. With their voices soft as thunder, as they tear your hopes apart and they turn your dreams to shame. I had a dream my life would be so different from this hell I'm living, so different from what it seemed. Now life has killed the dream I dreamed. In this scene, I'm going to show you Jean Valjean, who's He's still hiding under the pseudonym of Monsieur Le Maire. He, he finds Fantine, who used to work for him. He finds Fantine as Javert, who's the cop, for lack of a better term. He's trying to arrest her. And, and Valjean begins to recognize her. And this is, this is their exchange. I've seen your face before. Show me some way to help you. How have you come to grief in such a place as this? Monsieur, don't mock me now, I pray. It's hard enough I've lost my pride. You let your form send me away. Yes, you Turned aside. I never did no wrong. Is it true what I've done? My daughter's close is night. To an innocent soul. If there's a God above. Had I only known then. 
he'd let me die instead In his name My task has just begun I will take her to the hospital Monsieur Le Maire Where is your child? With an innkeeper for me I will send for her immediately I will see it if human experience teaches us anything, it's that it's just so risky, dangerous to be opened, to let people get close, to let things get really close. And look, I... I haven't been a priest for too terribly long. I was ordained in 2016, and I've heard enough confessions of women to know that I don't have to explain to you like what this has done, what this power dynamic has done, what like living in this fallen world has done, the risk of receptivity, the danger of vulnerability, all of these things. Like just the ordinary suffering of the average woman is just enough to break you. And like, if I may, like, just like as a member of the human male side of the species, I just want to say, like, I am so sincerely sorry for ways that you weren't reverenced, where you weren't treasured, where you weren't seen, where you weren't protected, where you weren't honored, where you weren't loved where you were missed, where you were cheapened, where, where you were taught that your openness and receptivity were a liability. It wasn't supposed to be that way. Like, if you go back to Genesis, like the, the words that God uses in Hebrew for male and female Right, male, zakar in Hebrew is related to this other word in Hebrew, zikaron, which means to remember. And female is nekeva, which is related to negeba, which means to open. Like right there from the beginning of Genesis is like the roadmap of redemption. It's the story that tells the undoing of our pain. It's how things are supposed to be that when the man remembers who he's supposed to be, like she will open. When he lives his mission of, of being an image bearer of the Father, of trustworthy, indulgent, good love, love that honors and treasures and protects, like, of course she'll open. Like this is, Pope Benedict said that this, this is what Jesus' entire mission it could be summarized in this. Remember that scene where he's healing the deaf mute man, right? And he spits and he groans and it's weird. And then he, he says, Ephatha, that is be opened. Benedict says like the entire mission of the Savior could be summed up in that one word. He's like, I know you've been taught to be shut down and protected and walled off. But be opened. I know the sons of Adam, many of them, ex-boyfriends, boyfriends, husbands, dads, brothers. 
I know that most of the sons of Adam have forgotten or just never learned this mission. But like, the bridegroom hasn't. The bridegroom hasn't. I want to just invite us, I want to kind of land us here with this little visual meditation on, on this image here. This is a sculpture by a guy named Victor Issa. He's depicting the scene where Jesus is encountering the woman who is caught in the act of adultery. The name of this sculpture is the heart of God. Like, think about this woman's story, right? Like, this is, this is Fantine. Like, I'm sure she dreamed a dream of what life would be and how different it turned out and the suffering that her heart endured and how she just shut it down. And the story tells how these Pharisees, they grab this woman, they throw her at the feet of Jesus. And you can imagine her having that posture of like arms up to protect herself. Because, I mean, certainly it's, it's a conditioned by this world. It's a power dominant kind of thing. But look at how he looks at her. This is how he looks at you. Like there's shock and surprise in her eyes. As if she's the only, the only one. Like as if like the high dive from heaven to earth was for her. He looks at you this way, enamored with infinite awe and infinite wonder and infinite delight, like you are part of his dream for the world. Like you are not forgotten, you are not a burden, you are not too much, you've never been too much. You're not like a pot boiling over on this stove that just, oh, I just lost sight of this. He's riveted by you. And the kind of love that comes pouring out of his heart for you, it is, it is patient and it is kind and it is strong and it is so tender and it is willing to give the world for you. Like it's a kind of love that just beats to declare your goodness. Like he's been whispering over you your entire life. It is so good that you are here. He loves to love you. And, and like, he's been whispering, right? Surrender. And we're just so conditioned to hear this through the paradigm of, 
of protect yourself. Like he's just coming to dominate. So just surrender already. And it's like, that's not what I'm asking. Like surrendering is not finally succumbing to a power that's greater than me. It's not just giving up to him. It's, it's finally opening up to him. Like opening up the deepest places, opening up all the places, opening it all up to him. Because all he wants to do is to love you deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. He's not a taskmaster. He's a bridegroom. Christianity is not a list of to-dos. It's a drama of romance. Where the most fruitful thing we could do is to finally say yes. And I know there are some of us here today who are, like because of things you've gone through, because of things you've suffered, because of losses you've experienced, you've experienced because of dreams you've buried because of all these different things like there are still parts of your hearts that are shut down that there's some of us who just we just resign ourselves to I'm just gonna live with this part of my heart segmented off and and look I'm not here today to tell you my dear sisters like I'm not here to like peddle some Nike theology and just tell you, just do it already. That's not the message. My desire is just that you would hear the bridegroom's whisper, this voice of the bridegroom who, like in the Song of Songs, the bridegroom who comes to the bride at night and he's knocking on the door. He's whispering, open to me, my sister, my bride open to me. And then he tells her this, you have ravished my heart, my sister, my bride. You've ravished my heart with one glance from your eye. You know that word ravished? In Hebrew, that word is levabathini. It's kind of an odd word. In Hebrew, it it comes from forestry. Levabathini, it really literally means to strip the bark off the tree. Why would you strip the bark off a tree? Well, that's how you make incense. You strip the bark, the outer layer of the tree off, the protective layer of the bark to reveal the inner fleshy part of the tree and you literally are bleeding the tree to extract the myrrh gum from the tree and you let that harden And that's what incense is. Incense is the blood of the tree. And Jesus is telling you, you have stripped my heart, rendered me defenseless. From one glance from your eye, This image here that I began with, this is a painting of the Annunciation by a guy named Henry O'Tanner. It's so different from Frangelico 
Jato Chimabui. It's so different from the masters, but man, is this gorgeous. Like this is, this, this is surrender. This is what's happening every time you pray, every time you come to mass, every time you approach the Eucharist, every time you adore, the heart of God is literally inflamed and he's stripped defenseless. He's ravished by your beauty. Like, riveted. And all he wants, all he's ever dreamt of doing is letting, is, is loving you deeper. My dear sisters, this is, this is the secret of surrender. This is the secret of your femininity. This is the unveiling of who you are and who you're called to be, this woman. This is the secret to the abundant life. Let yourself be loved. Surrender is not giving up. It's opening up. And so let us open up and end in prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Father, your heart is ravished by their beauty, opened and stripped bare that you are rendered defenseless in awe of your own creation. And Father, I, you say, I, I know how hard this is to let down the defenses, but your love is good and trustworthy, dependable, powerful, gentle, and tender. Holy Spirit, give these dear sisters of mine the grace to open their hearts more deeply to you on this retreat. To receive from the flow of your own heart. And we turn our eyes to that inferno of majesty and glory as we pray, all glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be world without end. Amen. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.